416-870-6400 is the way to go. You want to call in, ask Stan any questions about your employment, your job. Possibly you're a boss or an employer and you want to know uh, moving forward what's the correct thing to do or you got some questions about uh, running your business and the personnel uh, that you hire or have hired anyway. Bring it on. Any questions under that umbrella? We're here for a little under uh, 50 minutes to answer them. 416-870-6400. And you want to email. It is simply help at employmentlawyer.ca. Stan, brother, we always get to the uh, the week that was off the hop, and then we'll get into overtime vacation and statutory holiday pay. That conversation to follow and some emails. But uh, week that was, that's uh, the ball's in your court, brother. What do you got? Absolutely. Thanks, John, and uh, welcome to all our listeners. So I want to talk today about something that I see uh, a lot of confusion around in my practice, both from employees and employers, and that's what happens during a sale of business. So I wanted to kind of discuss what kind of sales there are uh, and what happens to an employee's rights and, frankly, the buyer and seller's rights as it relates to these sales. So firstly, the important thing to remember is that there's really only two types of sales of business. You know, take away all the layers of corporate corporations and what have you, and really you've got two types of sales. One is what we call a share purchase, where the buyer is literally buying the shares of the seller. And the other is what we call an asset purchase. And I want to talk about each. So the first, the share purchase one, you know, this is literally where, as I mentioned, the buyer's buying the shares of the selling company or corporation. Okay. And in this instance, you're buying everything. You know, you're buying the desks, the tables, the, the staplers, the, staplers the book of business, <laughs> the brand yeah. name even potentially. Okay. Uh, but on top of that, you're buying the liabilities, the debts, and in mo- in cases, the employees. In every case, you're taking on the employees. Right. In that case, unless you specifically said in the co- in the purchase and sale agreement, you're not doing that. And in this type of situation, when you're buying the shares of the corporation, you are taking on everything, including the years of service for employees. So, if an employee, if you're an employee and your business just got bought out, and you know, usually, frankly, the employees don't know what kind of sale it is. You can kind of disconcern what kind of sale it is depending on what's changing and what's not changing. If, okay. nothing's, if nothing is changing, it's likely a share purchase. And that's great news for employees. That means that nothing changes with respect to your entitlements or your compensation. Gotcha. Uh, you know, if you've worked there for 10 years and a new buyer comes in and buys the shares of the old company, you're still a 10-year employee. And in that instance, a lot of confusion arises because buyer comes in and they try to introduce a new employment contract. And if they do that, it will more than likely be unenforceable because if you're already an employee and you're already being, been given your salary and you've got your job, there and the, the, the buyer comes out and gives you this new contract and there's nothing in it extra for you, there's nothing... To give, there's no nothing being given to you as consideration. Right. The legal term that something has to be given to both parties for a contract to be enforceable. So if the buyer comes in, puts down a new employment contract that's got a nicely written, you know, termination clause drafted by a lawyer, but they don't give you anything for it, it's not enforceable. And in the same instance, the seller they have no liabilities in this situation. If you're, if the buyer's taking all the employees, they've sold their business, they've pocket, you know, cashed out, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they move on. Now, the other oh. type of sale of business is uh, okay. what we call an asset purchase, and this one is a little bit more confusing, because in this case, you're only taking on the assets of the corporation. 
or the business. You okay. are not taking on explicitly the liabilities of the corporation. And in this type of situation, technically speaking at law, the employee is actually being terminated by the previous seller and then will be offered new employment by the buyer. Okay. Often this happens seamlessly. You know, there's a new company comes in. They just tell you, hey, we're the new company. Nothing changes. No paper. Uh, no, no employment contracts introduced. And you just continue in, in that situation, mm-hmm. continue working for the buyer. And in fact, in that situation, the ESA specifically says that the buyer has to take on your years of service. Right. And if there's no contract, they take on your years of service, both from a statutory perspective, both as they relate to your minimum entitlements, and more than more likely than not, as it relates to your common law entitlements. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. But in this actual situation, the buyer can technically introduce a new contract because, again, you are technically a new employee. And in that new contract, as long as they say, we're recognizing your previous service, but we're also introducing this new employment contract with this new termination clause, that will be effective in limiting your entitlements in that situation. And so for one thing that sellers often get confused with is, you know, they they sell the company and the buyer decides not to take on some employee and then they get sued. Well, you know, from their perspective, well, we sold the company. What do we have to do with you anymore? Well, again, a termination has technically occurred at law and the seller is still liable. Right. So the one piece of advice I have for sellers in that situation is if you're going to, uh, if you're selling your company and it's an asset sale, make sure to give as much possible working notice as possible because then you're eating away at the uh, employee's entitlements and at the end of the day, they may have nothing left which you may owe them. If it is an asset purchase and the new uh, the buyer comes to the uh, staff that's already working there and says, hey, new buyer, welcome, good to see you, here's your new employment contracts, and the employee goes, ooh, I don't like what's written in this one, my other one I just started as a handshake, what are their options? Can they get out of it and get full severance? Well, that, that actually is a great question. Uh, it depends, and it's, right. it's not a simple question because really, you know, as you know, John, you employees who have been terminated have a duty to mitigate their damages. Yep. And, and guess what? You've got an opportunity right in front of you, and it's exactly the same job that you just had. Right. So whether a termination clause in and of itself is enough to allow an employee to reject an offer is frankly not established in the case law. It's unknown. I'm sure one day uh, uh, some lawyer will test that theory. But right now, it's it's very hard to say what the result of that would be. Now, ultimately, I mean, the seller is still liable as it relates to their minimum entitlements because, again, right. you can't mitigate those damages away. Yeah. But as, a, uh, as it relates to common law, you know, it's an open question. Hmm. Interesting. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We are uh, ready and open for business, as it were, on the phone lines. Uh, Irene, thank you for hanging on for a few minutes. Good evening. How are you? Hi. Hi. What's uh, what's going on, Irene? Um, I, As I've explained previously, um, it's regarding my husband. Uh, mm-hmm. It's sort of a situation you described. His company was sold after he worked there for 30 years. He came in the next morning uh, to the next employer, and um, two years into his working, or two and a half years, he was given a notice of a year and a half in lieu of severance, and so it was told that he will be terminated uh, November of this coming year, 
or this year already. Um, according to the common law, is he entitled to anything more than uh, than uh, a year and a half notice? So, yes, uh, there's very likely he would be entitled to more. So, firstly, it does that sounds to me like he was either an asset purchase that they recognized all his years of service, didn't have a contract uh, put in place to limit his entitlements, or it was just a share purchase and they rec- and, you know, took on all his years of service anyway. So, you know, being yeah. a, what, a 32-year employee, he's likely entitled to more than a year and a half in terms of common law damages alone. But beyond that, if the company is big enough, if it's got a payroll of over $2.5 million in Ontario, then technically speaking, he's under the ESA also entitled to what we call severance pay. Because severance pay cannot be provided as working notice to your husband. So they could have given him 30 months of working notice. But in that's, even at the end of that working notice, they have to pay out his minimum entitlement as relates to severance pay. And your client, uh, in your husband's situation, it would amount to 26 weeks because he tops out at severance after 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much. I am not sure what their payroll is like, uh, whether it's um, whatever millions a year. I'm not 100% sure about that. But I guess... Um, he needs to seek a legal advice. Absolutely. I would definitely tell him to give us a call uh, in the morning. We can certainly help figure that question out. You know, as a general rule of thumb, what I like to tell clients is $2.5 million is 50 people making $50,000. It's not that many people. It's not that many people making very reasonable, yes. Yeah. Right. And I would say they do. I would say they do. Well, then at the end of that year and a half of notice, he is very likely entitled to a further 26 weeks of severance pay. So have him give yeah, us a call, and we'll, we'll definitely be able to help you out. I absolutely will. I absolutely right. will. Thank you so much for taking my call. Irene, thank you for uh, for your time this evening. It was, uh, it was a smart thing for you to call in for sure. That's just how it works. That number, by the way, to reach Stan and the rest of the guys uh, to follow up, one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 or help at employmentlawyer.ca. The phone number, 416-870-6400. That is what you want to use to get on the air and get your questions, uh, get your questions answered. Bob, thanks for hanging on. Good evening. How are you today? Good, fellow. What's uh, what's going on with you? Well, I'm just wondering for future reference, mm-hmm. because I'm in position, I'm in my early 50s, so I'm too young to be a gritter. You'd think I would be too young. Uh, got a issue with my one arm, and it's pretty much useless, but it's not an obvious disability uh i try and get a job with say one of the big box stores as a greeter but i can't get a job i know that i can't force them to hire me but how would i be able to tell if that was discrimination age discrimination or because i don't look disabled how would i be able to tell I mean, that's a great question, Bob, and the unfortunate uh, answer is that it's very difficult to tell, especially during the hiring process and in that type of scenario, whether you've been discriminated against. Um, you know, unless there's unless they tell you something specifically during the interview process that you know gives you an inkling that oh they're talking about my age or oh no they're you know they saw my my disability and they think I can't do the job. Beyond that, you're kind of just guessing. Now you could 
start the claim, you know, start a human rights uh, discrimination claim anyway and make the claim that you were discriminated against. And technically, in that scenario, it's actually the company that has to prove that they didn't discriminate against you. But generally speaking, beyond kind of that kind of investigative uh, fact-finding mission, it's really hard to, to, to get the answer to that question. Yeah, and while this isn't an obvious disability, it's not like I've got one arm and one leg cut off or I'm physically handicapped and paralyzed from the waist down and have to be in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it obviously sounds like, you know, going into a interview... Once you you know once they see your resume they love your resume they they interested in hiring you and then they would pretty much I'm assuming be able to tell if you've you come in a wheelchair that you've got a medical handicap and again because it's so visible it, it really becomes difficult to disconcern whether it's discrimination or they just went with another candidate yeah and then vice versa it's not an apparent something that you could see as in a disability. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate the call. Let us know uh, how it goes. We're going to take our first short break here and get the phone lines filled up. Now you have time to uh, to call in. Use the number 416-870-6400. That is it. Or help at employmentlawyer.ca through emails. We're going to bounce over to overtime, vacation, and statutory holiday pay. That is on the way with Stan in the hot seat. It's the Employment Law Show right here, Global News Radio. It is uh, 721 here, and yeah, welcome back indeed. Phone lines are open, the Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show. This happens Monday night, uh, Wednesday night rather at the same time, the weekend shows. And don't miss Employment Law Show, the televisual feast that happens on uh, CTV and Global TV on the weekend mornings as well, so you can see our ugly mugs on uh, on television. Overtime, vacation, and statutory holiday pay. That's what we're going to talk about now. If you want to call through and ask about this or any other topic, do so. 416-870-6400. So this one, uh, brother, overtime, vacation, statutory pay. Obviously, you've given me the Coles notes on this. I, I would assume this is a very busy topic uh, at the law firm. It comes up a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, people have a lot of questions uh, around it, which is why I thought yeah. it would be great for us to discuss it as a topic on air. Uh, there's quite a lot here to cover. Obviously, we can only get so much, but uh, shoot, what do you have? Uh, we'll get it in. A lot of this came through uh, through emails over past shows. Uh, one right here. Can my employer make me work on a Saturday for free to make up for the fact that I got paid for a statutory holiday? That sounds a little sneaky. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's absolutely <laughs> underhanded, and in fact, it's completely illegal. Right. Uh, Statutory holidays are just that. They're holidays mandated by the government, and they're days that you get paid for. You know, for salaried employees, this just factors into your salary. If you're uh, an hourly employee, they actually have to pay you for that day, and they can't make you work a day to make up for that holiday. Again, it's a statutory holiday mandated by the government to give people time off from work. If someone does agree, not knowing what we just talked about two seconds ago, and they do work that Saturday, then they hear the show, they go, okay, well, I worked the Saturday. How do I handle that? Do I say don't do it again? Do I claim for overtime? Do they have any recourse? Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the one thing I'll say is that the Ministry of Labor isn't great in most scenarios, but one of the things it's really good for is things like overtime, statutory holiday pay, and vacation pay. You know, you can call in, file a complaint, 
You, you can do it while you're working there. It may be a little awkward, I'll be honest. Uh, but, you know, the ministry will come in and they'll ask for the pay records and they'll ask for the for the employer's information in response to your claim. And if they found that you were, in fact, forced to work on the Saturday for free and in lieu of the statutory holiday, likely you'll have, you know, you'll likely get overtime for that because, frankly, you're not getting, it's not a day in lieu of. It's actually extra time you've worked that week, which will be added to your weekly hours. You got questions about this? You want to call in? Don't hesitate. This is why uh, this is why we're here to get those questions on and get some answers happening. It's four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. That would be the number. Overtime, vacation, statutory holiday pay. Uh, another question comes through. Says I've been working as a contractor for the last four and a half years for one employer. After listening to your show, you know what's coming. I realize that I am really an employee at law. Uh, am I entitled to vacation and statutory holiday pay for the years I was mischaracterized, misclassified as a contractor? So, great question. And the yeah. short answer to it really is yes. You know, if you if a court of law or the tax man comes in and determines that you're actually an employee, well, you know, guess what? You should have been paid vacation pay. You should have gotten uh, statutory holiday pay or days off and been paid for that. The ESA specifically mandates that for employees, and once it's found that you are an employee, the ESA applies. And even if this happened four and a half years ago, if you just realized Mm. this now, because the Limitations Act speaks about discoverability, you know, the two-year limitation apply once you've discovered the action. If you only figure this out right now, you can still take action going back four and a half years. This is, I mean, that's, I mean, this is the topic is uh, vacation overtime and statutory pay in that regard. When you're discovered, you are not from listening to this show, actually a contract, you're an employee at law. I mean, the, the overtime issue is just a drop in the bucket compared to some of the, the crap you're going to face when this all gets cleared up. If you've been working under the, under the, uh, impression that you are a contractor, I mean, there's going to be, uh, yes, or at least, uh, tax implications. There's going to be all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and they yeah. may not all be good necessarily for employees in that situation. Right. They can come down, the t- CRA can come down very hard. Uh, it can yep. hit you with, you know, back taxes. It can hit you with penalties that are even greater than the taxes right. you have owed to begin with. So it, it yeah. often turns on, you know, how creative an accountant you have and how much you're writing off mm-hmm. that legally you pro- might not be allowed to as an employee. Right. Uh, so. Huh. Yeah, but ultimately, there can be implications for both sides. If you ever have it, if this is you, because we always get calls about this afterwards, people going, oh, no, I think I might be a little hot water. You want to reach out to Stan and clear it up when we're not on the air, you can do so. one 821 5900 It is help at employmentlawyer.ca through email. But for the remainder of the time here on the air, call. I've seen a couple of calls come and go, so I don't know if people are getting through or not or hanging up or maybe they're trapped under something heavy. I don't know. 416-870-6400 is the number you want to ask some questions as we uh, get through this topic of overtime and vacation statutory holiday pay if i am a salaried employee again salaried employee am i entitled to overtime because a lot of people don't think so yeah a lot of confusion around this john uh people think they get a salary and that means the employer can tell them to work as many hours as you know as necessary as they want you to and that's simply not the case you know salaried employees are just kind of another way of thinking about an hourly employee because you can break down an individual salary to an hourly rate and pay, and, you know, they would just be being paid like that. In fact, usually when you see people's huh. pay stubs, you know, they've got 80 hours right there, and then there's an hourly rate that you probably didn't know you were being paid by the hour. 
So really, at the end of the day, salary employees have the same rights when it comes to overtime as any other employee. If you work more than 44 hours a week, every hour above that is overtime. And again, you are not your employer cannot physically force you to either work overtime or they can't make you work more than 48 hours a week unless you explicitly agree to. Okay. So if I'm if I'm a salaried employee listening to this, and uh, I'll, I'll give this a shot because math was never my strong suit. <laughs> if I'm salaried, I simply take my weekly salary, find out what I make in a week, divide that into 44 hours a week. That gives me an hourly rate. And if it's overtime, it's that rate plus time and a half, right? Time and a half. Of in that the rate. most basic math, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Sweating there for a sec. So, are there uh, are there exceptions for employees to get overtime after forty four hours a week? After forty four hours, there are exceptions uh, okay. as it relates to overtime rules generally. Um, so, certain people in Ontario are actually not entitled to time and a half. And if this fall, if this is one of you listeners, then I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. Um, so, managers, number one, if you are yep. considered a manager you technically do not qualify for overtime. There's a specific exemption carved out in the legislation for managers. Uh, The other exemptions are things like IT professionals. They are also not entitled to overtime. They're Mm -hmm. always, of course, entitled to their straight time. So if you're working more than 44 hours, you should be getting paid for every hour you're working. But ultimately, you don't get that time and a half benefit. Uh, a few other professions this applies to is our uh, ambulance and firefighters, first responders, uh, yeah. first responders, cab drivers, uh, okay. people working in uh, on farms generally do not qualify for overtime. And one other exemption, it's not really an exemption, kind of a, a calculation, is that the 44 hours can be actually averaged over two weeks. So if you work 60 hours one week and 40 hours the next, you can average that and still end up with only 50 hours, you would get, in that scenario, six hours of overtime. Not the 20 Really? Yes, yes. Oh, I did not know. I'm going to throw one more in that list of of occupations that don't get uh, overtime. And this one I've asked Lior, I don't know, eight years we've been pondering this, and we don't know why it's so (laughs) random, but pool cleaners. I saw For some that, reason, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that? I Pool don't, cleaners don't get overtime. <laughs> I would love to know who came up with this list because, like, some of them make sense, right? Like first responders. Yeah. Oh yeah, Far, uh, but like pool farm cleaners, people, yeah, yeah, farm hands, yep. yeah. But you know, first response, you know, pool cleaners. What do they do <laughs> to end up without getting overtime? I mean, it's like, okay, guys, we're sitting around around table. Guys, we need one more. No bad ideas. Yeah. So, Have a pool cleaner. Perfect. Write it in. Like, what does that? Sounds like it. One MP it. had a bad experience with a pool cleaner. No kidding. <laughs> right? Exactly. Hey, uh, tell me this. So, uh, when it comes to overtime, vacation, statutory holiday pay, how many statutory? holidays are there in Ontario this year? So in Ontario this year, there are yeah. actually 10 statutory holidays which wow. you have to be paid for. Okay. Uh, and that's not necessarily true in every province. Provinces actually have different statutory holidays. We have we usually have some that are the same, like Christmas, uh, Boxing Day is, is federal. Sure. But some, you know, like our May, uh, what we call May 2-4 weekend, uh, that's specific to Ontario. And the uh, family day as well. No, in February? I yes, think so? family yeah, day is also terrible. Ontario. I think another province yeah. as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, you want to call three? You got some time. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Feel free to uh, do so. We'll get to some emails a little later on the show. Let's get over to uh, to Lori. Hey, Lori, good evening. How are you? Hi there. Good, thing. Great. What's up? So I have a 
question. Um, uh, this happened a few years ago, and uh, the company that I worked for, I was on contract with, and we didn't have a written contract. It was just a verbal what my hourly rate was going to be. And then they, because I was working for a big retailer, they went ahead and set up a contract uh, with a big retailer to use my services. So they didn't set up a contract with me, but they knew to set up a contract with a really big retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is there anything, and, and then they just let me go. Um, but uh, when I worked for that big retailer, I was in the office, I had my own email address. It was as if I worked for that company. Like I was there, eight, you know, 8.30 to 4.30 mm-hmm. every day. And so there was a contract, but it was between the company that let them use my services. I see. So, I mean, it's it's hard to know exactly what's going on in your scenario, but I'm guessing it's one of two things. Either your employment is being seconded to the retailer, you know, they're basically loaning you to that retailer, uh, or they can they may have actually what what we call assigned your contract to the retailer. You, contracts can be cha- uh, can actually be transferred, just kind of similar to how a sale of business when we were talking earlier, your contract can be transferred around. And if that's what happened here, yeah. then technically the big retailer would take on your contract in this scenario. But you're saying that your old employer terminated you? Um, so I don't think the I don't think my contract was assigned because mm-hmm. my original employer continued to pay me, and when, and they terminated me. But it was a verbal term, like we don't need your services anymore. Okay. Um, but I don't know how it how it terminated between them and the big retailer. Right. Well, ultimately, I mean, if you're if you're still being paid by the previous employer, they're likely still your employer in that scenario. Even if you're working offsite at a different place, it can get quite murky depending on how long that relationship lasts. But if you work for one company and they say, "Hey, you know, go work over there." That, and assuming that's kind of within the wheelhouse of your duties and responsibilities, they're technically allowed to go and tell you to work somewhere else. Now, it could be a constructive dismissal, which is a whole different can of worms. But legally speaking, there's nothing wrong for them to say, hey, you know, we've contracted with this big box retailer, and this is where we need you to work for us moving forward. Okay. Is there anything wrong that they didn't give me a contract, but then they knew to set up a contract? with the other employer, with the, with the retailer? So not technically, no, because, you know, even if you don't have a written contract, you always have an implied contract. The law steps in in that scenario and says, hey, here are the basic tenets of what your rights are. And if they have a contract, and that's uh, again in that scenario with the other company, that's more of a commercial contract. They likely have a contract that says the big box retailer will pay them X amount in exchange. They will do X for that con- uh, that company. Laurie, appreciate uh, appreciate your call. You want to move on and talk to Stan again? You could do so one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. When we're uh, when we're not on the air, going to move along to Matt. Hi, Matt. Thanks for uh, hanging on, fella. How are you tonight? Yeah, how you doing? Good. What's uh, what's your question? Um, I was just wondering. Uh, I work in a unionized environment, and uh, when we have a stat day that falls on a weekend, say it falls on like a Saturday, 
Um, our company always moves that stat day to be observed on the Monday. I was just wondering if they are they allowed to do that. Uh, ge- well, generally speaking, yes. Uh, firstly, for a couple of reasons, you know, the employment laws don't quite apply the same way to unionized environments. So, you know, whatever un- agreement your union has with the employer, there, as long as it doesn't um, fall below a certain minimum threshold, like they're taking away a stat holiday from you, then they can come to an agreement that's something other than. You know, and I think that's generally how it works in the the normal course as well. You know, if I if a stat holiday falls on a Saturday and I don't work Saturdays, then that stat holiday carries over to the Monday or to a day that I would work because again, it's supposed to give you a day off and to be paid for that day off. Right. So if you worked on on that Saturday, that would have been the stat holiday. Are they able to give you straight time? Yeah. Well, no. Again, uh, they. I don't know, again, what your relationship or what agreement the union has with your employer, but stat holidays are generally straight time. You don't get overtime for stat holidays. Okay. Yeah. All right. Appreciate the call, Matt. Uh, Going to move on here to uh, to Yasmin. Hi, Yasmin. Thank you for hanging on. How are you? Hi, Leo. I'm good. Good. Um, What's going on? Yeah. Quick question. My son, uh, he's been under a lot of stress working there. He's tried to get many times, like, when there were positions available, but they never kind of allowed him to go up and it's been stressful he's having stomach ailments and stuff like mm-hmm. um, like so he's gone to a doctor and he got some forms and now it's come back saying that that's not good enough for him to keep away from work okay well uh, what i can tell you is that i mean ultimately if your son's doctor mm-hmm. medical professional has just said in a, in a written note that, hey, this person needs time off work. Mm-hmm. That's not really open for an employer to question. Uh, they have mm-hmm. to have a really, really good reason mm-hmm. to, to, to doubt that medical professional's opinion. So, yeah. again, if your, doc, your son's doctor has said he cannot work, the employer can't say, well, that note's not good enough. We want more information. And in fact, there's certain information they can never have, like, you know, your son's diagnosis. They are never allowed to know that information mm-hmm. uh, it's actually the insurance company coming back and saying that no he, he it's not as bad that he has to stay home uh, so, so is this in relation to applying for disability benefits yes yeah yes. yeah in that scenario it's a little different uh, the insurance mm-hmm. company you know is the one who evaluates whether your son qualifies for short-term mm-hmm. disability mm-hmm. and you know they they get unfortunately you know they make the decision that doesn't mean that the decision is final that doesn't mean okay. that their decision is right uh mm-hmm. you know if in lots of scenarios at my office every day we mm-hmm. are suing insurance companies because they're rejecting claims mm-hmm. you know frivolously for with no grounds whatsoever and, and you have to remember that insurance companies don't make money by paying out claims. Exactly. Their I know first, you always say that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, their first, you know, first instinct is to always reject a claim and exactly. then see what happens. So what can my boy do do with this? Can he call you or something? I Ab- told him I absolutely. Call Tell him to give our office a call and we are, will happily set him up to speak to a lawyer and who will assess his medical situation uh-huh. and she'll, uh-huh. they will be able to say, you know, whether he should or should not qualify for disability benefits. Right. And if he should qualify and the insurance company is illegal, legally uh, denying his claim, then they can take action on that. 
Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, they just had baby last week, so all this was stressing him out. Like uh, you know, and he's trying to go. Like he's he he's the one candidate who's doing the job, mm-hmm. and they give it to somebody. As you know, all the politics that goes around, right? Mm, of course, kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. So and and the, and the insurance company. He told the insurance company over Christmas, my doctor is going to be away for a month, and give me the paper so I can get it. Now they mm-hmm. stopped his pay as of this week. Right, as of the last day, he's not been paid, and so um, they're having a struggle, you know. And well, I'm really sorry to hear uh-huh. that, and yeah, I mean that sounds yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I mean, tell him to give us a call, and we will see what we can do in that situation. What number should he call you, Leo? I'll give it. To, I'll give it to you right now. He asked me that number to get a hold of Stan. <clears throat> pardon me, or Lior. Moving forward, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And help at employmentlawyer. Dot ca. I want to remind you uh, as well, since uh, Yasmin kind of broke uh, brought it up, and we alluded to it that uh, the other half of, of the firm stand that. Not the side you and Lior deal with, but is the uh, is the side that Savan and his team deal with is the uh, disability law. In fact, the disability law show is on this radio station as well on the weekends if you haven't caught it. Because there is often, perfect example, so much interplay between the employment side and the disability side. You guys have got that market cornered because it, under one roof, you can deal with both at the same time, right? Absolutely. And that's, you know, disability yeah. law is something that's becoming a lot more prevalent Uh you know, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, personal injury laws kind of settled down a little bit because of some regulatory changes. But again, you know, there's so much interplay, as you mentioned, John, between employment yeah. and disability law. And that's why we've put it all under one shop to be able to help you know, anyone who needs help in either of those two areas. We had a uh, tax question come through. Actually, it was somebody who called in but didn't uh, didn't hang on the line. So our, our good screener says, uh, the question was, is it illegal for a gas station to deduct money from a worker's paycheck to cover gas stolen by a customer? Yeah. No, that is absolutely illegal. Uh, the ESA specifically says that an employer cannot withhold wages or set off against your wages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that... that, that is in respect to both, you know, proper setoffs where maybe you took a loan from the company and they let you go and they want that money back. They can't withhold your wages for that loan. Uh, and also improper setoffs like this scenario where, you know, through no fault of this poor employee, somebody happened to steal from the company. That's not the employee's fault. And in fact, even if it was their fault, there's a term called vicarious liability where your <laughs> actions, if you're acting in the normal course of your duties and responsibilities and because something and something happens you know the classic actual example in the case law is there's a construction uh, site and something terrible happens uh, that results in a lot of damage and it turns out it's this one employee's fault and the question becomes can you sue that employee or do you sue the company and, and the answer that ultimately came down from the courts is that it's the company that's liable as long as the individual's acting within their duties and right. the negligence isn't of such a ridiculous standard that, you know, it could have happened in most normal circumstances. I want to slide over to uh, Rob here on the phone. Hey, Rob, uh, good evening. How are you? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Nothing, Pally. What's going on? I just wanted to get a quick clarification before uh, you guys get off the air for the night. A couple callers ago, you had a gentleman, uh, union guy, he was talking about yep. uh, stat holiday pay. So toss the union part of it out. The question that I have that I want clarification on is if a person that's just a regular employee 
is working like the stat holiday on like a weekend or you know whatever the stat holiday happens to be on mm-hmm. is that not time and a half in addition to the holiday to pay as straight time yes so if you actually have to work the stat holiday uh then and there's very few uh you know industries where you could be forced to usually the big ones are retail and the restaurant industry Mm-hmm. And, but if you do happen to work that day, you get time uh, off and, and usually time off and a half. It's, it does count though with overtime in that scenario. Okay, so it's time and a half plus the. So you would be, would you not be at essentially two or like time and a half plus the stat holiday pay? So two and a half times? Well, no, you get uh, basically a day, either a day and a half off or you get time, paid in lieu of that time and a half. But you could also, like, essentially, if you're not taking the loot time, that's double time and a half. If you're not taking the loot time, you would get time and a half for that day. Mm. But not the stat holiday pay as well? Uh, not well. The stat holiday pay is the day that you're getting paid for. If you don't get this, if you don't, and usually you you would have to take the day off. Your employer would actually have to force you to take the day off. Uh, well, you're right. If that. you if you don't get a day off whatsoever, you you do get that. You do have to be paid for that day. Yeah, so I'm just saying, yeah. as an example, say somebody works and they're working in a call center, right? Like a monitoring, say it's like you're monitoring, I don't know, uh, security systems, ambulances, mm-hmm. what, whatnot, and you're working the sad holiday because it just happens to fall upon your regular shift. You get the time and a half for working that day in addition to the statutory holiday pay, which generally is a separate line item on the pay stub, correct? Yes. Again, you, you can get the time and a half in a day in lieu of and be paid for that day in lieu of. Uh, or and ultimately you would get that pay. Rob, appreciate it. Good way to wrap it up. And I knew this uh, this topic would bring some phone calls for sure. You want to reach out now that we're done for a Monday. It is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Stanley. You're a member of the amazing crew over there at the firm. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. If you want an employer, uh, employment lawyer with you at all times until you make that phone call, it's really easy. And I mean it. It's an amazing service. It's a wonderful website called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Check it out and uh, call after that if you still need to. Back in here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock the weekend shows and employment law show happens on global tv and ctv as well on weekend mornings stick around on points coming right back here on global news radio